0: Today's lesson was recorded on October 26, 2021, and this is the sixth lesson in our weekly Bible study through the book of Matthew. Today's lesson, we're going to look at parables and a few of the parables in chapter 13 of Matthew. Now, we're going to begin with a brief overview of parables, and then we'll explore what's commonly known as the parable of the weeds or the tares, but we're going to call more specifically the parable of the darnel. Now, one-third of Jesus' teaching comes to us in parable, so it's vitally important, if we're going to hear his message clearly, that we understand as much as we can about parables and how they're used, and when we do, it opens up the parables of Jesus in a brand new way. Now, we have all of our lessons on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So the real benefit to YouTube, of course, is to be able to show pictures, and those pictures help deepen the lesson. So so much of the Bible is communicated using the concrete word pictures of Israel and the Near East. So seeing with our eyes is an important factor to learning the message of the Bible. Now, we're also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and these are very helpful at making the lesson convenient to hear. So you can take that lesson with you and listen while you're driving, or walking, or doing the dishes. And then if after you listen to the podcast, well, if you want to see the pictures, you can always go back over to our YouTube channel and see the photos on the video. Because those pictures can definitely be helpful to you to make concrete the teaching that often seems so abstract. So however you find us, make sure you subscribe to our channel, give us a thumbs up or a like, share it with your friends, Your engagement directly helps us grow our ministry through the magic of that social media algorithm. Those algorithms really like it when people engage with the content. So make sure you hit those buttons below, and we sincerely appreciate your engagement that helps us grow our ministry and spread these lessons about the Bible. So we hope you enjoyed today's lesson on the parable of the Darnell. So on the screen... I titled this the Parable of the Darnell. I don't think any of your Bibles call it the Parable of the Darnell. It's really important that we uh, understand that word darnell. That's what, we'll work on that today. Most of your Bibles in Matthew 13 are going to say the Parable of the Weeds, or the Parable of the Tares. That was a, when they translated the King James. The word Tares gets in there. John Wesley argued during his day. We need to go back to Darnell because we need to be more specific about what that weed is. So it's very specific. It's a Darnell. Why does that matter? Well, if you hear weeds, well, all of you are going to come up with whatever weed annoys you in your garden or in your backyard or whatever, but it's not common to the group. So when Jesus' audience hears this, they they know exactly what he's talking about, the implications of Darnell and it adds a punch to the story. So it's not just a weed, but Darnell, and we'll talk about that. And as we'll see, Darnell is, people describe it as an evil twin to wheat. So an evil twin. It was well-known throughout society, all of the societies, and it was just a bane to society, and it's poisonous and will cause you to hallucinate. So that's fun. But anyways, as we uh, move forward, The important part is is that we understand what a darnel is, that it's a mimic, uh, and not a tear, and not just any old weed. So, we are in number six, week six here. So, Matthew week six. For a photo today, this will come into play as we start going through Matthew 13. This photo right here, this is a little bit northeast of the Sea of Galilee, and those are some very old fields. So very old fields that people would farm. And each one of those areas that you see on the screen belong to one family. So it would be one family has a field right next door. The next family has a field. Nobody lives on their farm. So the farms are out. They all live in the city. And then you go to your field. So each one of those would be a family farm. And those are very ancient. Nobody's using them anymore. But we'll talk about that picture. Uh, We'll come back to that later. So, we're in Matthew 13. Parables. All of Matthew 13 is parables. So, if you you have your Bible and you want to turn it to Matthew 13, we're not going to talk all the parables. We have done a number of parables, and we have them on video. So, for anybody watching on YouTube, I will put links below to some of our past parables, the rich man and Lazarus, the mustard seed, and there was one other one It's escaping me now, but they'll be below in the the description section of the video. So, parables. Parables are obviously popular with Jesus, and they are very popular with all of the rabbis. There's something like 1,500 parables that we know of, 40 of them come from Jesus. So it's a huge genre to study. As I mentioned last week, it's a storytelling culture. So most cultures are, but it's a storytelling culture. Parables are very popular to communicate ideas or truths. Fables are very popular. Folklore is very popular. And it's used to communicate truth in the form of a story that makes it easy to remember and that you can go over it over and over and over and over and over. So last week we looked at just briefly we mentioned a fable from Aesop. Now it's the wolf in sheep's clothing is the fable. And we I brought it up last week because it happens to be a measure for measure. The wolf dresses up to try to eat the lambs. The shepherd decides to go get some lamb, and the first one he kills is the sheep. Or I'm sorry, is the wolf. So there's a measure for measure. But the point is. This was written 600 B.C., and we still use the reference. I know Jesus did use it, but we still have that idea. It's a very powerful story that is able to communicate something, and we all get it. So, stories are very powerful. Like the tortoise and the hare. It's another one, right? The principle is still true today and relevant. Now, Jesus doesn't use fables. He uses parables, so we're going to talk parables today. So just briefly, because I don't want to reiterate what we've done in the past totally, but it's always good to review. Parable in Hebrew is called Mashal, and you don't need to memorize that, but Mashal is a much bigger grouping than what we have. We have like a proverb is also a Mashal. A parable is a Mashal. So, in Hebrew, it's just one word, mashal. But when you get to English, now it's like, well, we have allegory and we have a simile and then we have a parable and then we have a proverb and we've kind of divided them all up. But in Hebrew, one word, mashal. In Greek, it's the word parable. So, that's where we get our word parable. And in both cases, what they're doing is to make a comparison. The kingdom of heaven is like. And now you make a comparison. So in the Greek, para means close beside, and bole is to cast. So you're casting alongside. You take a difficult concept like the kingdom of God, and you cast alongside of it something that everybody recognizes. And we'll talk through that today, but something that everybody can understand. And then what you cast alongside, the characteristics are very important because they're going to point to whatever the difficult concept is, like the kingdom of God. So that's a, what a parable does. It's actually got a function to it. Make a comparison. All right, so when we think about parables, there, there's characteristics that are always there. They're always a story or a word picture. Generally speaking, parables have human actors. Fables have animals that take on human qualities that's the difference between a parable and a fable. So you tell a story. The story, as I mentioned, helps, helps you take the lesson with you. A well-told story. You can hear it once, and you will remember that story for years. And the rabbis are great storytellers. We've lost that art. And we don't communicate with stories. We don't expect stories to be thrown back and forth. But it's a brilliant way to communicate because a well a well told story doesn't leave you uh, one thing to note about parables is they're always fiction, so we often talk about a man walked down from Jerusalem to Jericho it's like, well, okay, that could have happened, but the story is made up the story's fictional it's not a replay, a recounting of something that did happen it's Fiction, and that's important because details matter. Jesus is firmly in control of the details. So if he puts a detail in there, because he can, he has the ability to add or take away details, he's putting in the detail for a reason. Bing, that should cause you to pay attention. Ah, there's a detail that Jesus put in. Now I have to understand why that detail's there. It helps move the the parable along. What parables do is they carry truth. So there's some truth principle that lies right above the story, and as you ponder the story or allow it to sink into your soul, truth is revealed. Ah, now I know what he's talking about. And it causes you, we'll talk in a minute, to have a process of self-discovery. It's a brilliant way to communicate. And then finally, for Jesus, and we'll see this today with the parable of the Darnell, is he often adds a shock or a twist, something in the story that causes the audience to kind of wake up to what he's saying. We'll see that tonight. Not all parables have a shock and a twist, but Jesus likes to do that, to get your attention, not what you're expecting. Okay, just a few more notes about parable. One thing uh, that's interesting about them is they're very effective at communicating a difficult truth, especially if someone is your opponent, somebody who thinks different than you, you tell a story that they now ponder and can carry what you're, what you're telling them. And what's so great about it is as they ponder the story themselves, it's internalized and they go through a process of self-discovery. So who are you going to argue with? because you're the one who came up with the story. Now, you might be upset because the guy caused you to think that way, but it's, it's a brilliant way of doing it. And then if you can add God's words into that, well, even better. But parables cause you a process of self-discovery. And, finally, on this page, or on this one, they're used for complex issues, not simple ideas. The kingdom of heaven is complex. There are other ideas that come from the Bible that just aren't that complex. You don't need a parable to do it. So, Jesus is going to use parables when there's something difficult or maybe debated. And you use them because you can weave together something that's true. A straightforward idea? Nah, you don't need a parable for it. One of my favorite quotes about parables—this is a rabbinic saying—is, Uh, and this is on your sheet, still under number one, that parables are used for you to take the message with you, right? You have an audience and you give them a teaching. How are they going to carry that teaching with them? So a teaching without a parable is like a basket without handles. How do you pick it up? How are you going to take the teaching with you? That's one thing that parables do. A well-crafted story, everyone walks away, they'll, they'll recount the story for the next few months as they're working or walking or whatever. So you take that with you. One reason that I like to put up videos of the teaching with photos or pictures is because pictures can often do that as well. People have told me, you know, years after I've taught a lesson, um one of them was about Lystra, so the city of Lystra that Paul visits in the Book of Acts, there are trees at Lystra that have are very prominent called linden trees. And they have a myth surrounding them. And so, you know, a friend of mine sees Acts 13, I think it is, and says, oh yeah, the trees. That's all I can remember. The trees. I remember the trees because he saw a picture of the trees. That's what a concrete picture will help you remember something. He doesn't know all the details, but he knows enough to remember there's something to do with the trees and that fits, will help him, his mind go back to that story. So that's what parables do. Um, Another great rabbinic, thought, is they looked at Solomon's Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs uh, are also the same Hebrew word, mashal, and they say that Solomon gave handles, just like the basket, Solomon gave handles to the Torah. We've got Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's filled with not only commandments, but all these crazy stories. What do we do with these? Well, Solomon, through the use of Proverbs or parable, gave Handles to the Torah, meaning I, I now I can take this Torah story or this commandment out of the Torah and I can the Torah and I can take it with me. So just another quote about parables and Solomon. All right. So number two, just to go real quickly, there's common parables within uh, rabbinic Judaism and of course the New Testament. So many of these common parables. And parables, again, are looking at something complex, or difficult, or unknown, and we're going to compare it, we're going to cast alongside something known. So, for instance, the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. The very, uh, that one's prominent. Many of, of Jesus' parables are the, about the kingdom of God. Uh, you have relationships between God and humanity. There was a king, there was a landowner who went away and he gave out gold and then he came back you know it's all about how do god and human beings interact you have human to human interaction that's uh, the good samaritan who's my neighbor is the question who's my neighbor the guy asked jesus and the answer is the parable of the good samaritan but it's human to human interaction who if god says i'm supposed to love my neighbor then define for me who my neighbor is cuz i don't like romans and i definitely don't like samaritans and so jesus then drives in this story that forces you to admit that you have to love a Samaritan. And it's brilliant in what he's doing. Okay, and then, of course, what happens in almost every single parable, whether we can find it or not, we don't, you might not be able to tell on all of them, there's some Old Testament text that Jesus is playing with that underlies the parable. Or a commandment, right? Just like the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, then define for me neighbor if that's the commandment. So then that you get the parable of the Good Samaritan. So you have all these complex issues. How do we describe them? Well, you, you can't describe them straightforward. So you tell a story. There was a king. There was a shepherd who has a, had a hundred sheep. There was a father who had two sons. There was a farmer who went out to sow in his field. So all of these things, all the knowns, king, shepherd, farmer, sorry, father, farmer, those are all familiar to you. And then you know, You know the characteristics of the king and the shepherd and the father because you live with them, they're surrounding you, and then you can take those little characteristics and apply them to something complex, the kingdom of God, or something about God. Okay, so, if you have Matthew 13 open, well, then we say, what's going on in Matthew 13? Well, Jesus tells us seven parables. Seven parables that are all about the kingdom of God. Now, seven, there's a biblical number. So, is there some reason why when Matthew edited down his story, he kept them to seven? And then you'd say, well, why do we need seven parables about the kingdom of God? Isn't one good enough? Well, no, because it's so complex. I need to give you different aspects of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. So, I'm going to tell you seven different stories, and each one's going to have a little nugget in there. That should help paint the picture, something about the reign of God. So, we all wrestle with these things. And, of course, that's what the parables are there to do, is to help us look at it. So, you have a complex, something difficult, something unknown. That's the kingdom of heaven. And now you get seven parables that all include something known to the audience. And we'll look briefly at one and a little bit more about the Darnell. So. The seven of them go like this. You have the sower, the parable of the sowers, what we call it. I'm going to suggest, and other scholars are the ones pointing this out, is if you can read it, and I'll challenge you to read it, as the parable of the hearers, that that soil represents how you hear the word of God, and it represents being a disciple, not those people over there who don't believe the gospel, it's these people in here in the church. Can you hear the kingdom of God being spoken today? So it's it's about it's the challenge of twisting the parable around on yourself. We'll talk about that in a minute. So you have the sower, you have the weeds, but as I said, you got to know what a darnel is. That's what that's what makes the parable the punch. Uh, then you have the mustard seed and the yeast. Everybody everybody bakes bread and they know what that is. And these two are connected. It's about the expansion of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is expanding outward like last week it's breaking forth out of that sheep pen the mustard seed and the yeast talk about this mysterious process of of expansion so you have those two then you have two the hidden treasure and the fine pearl those two go together it's about the joy of discovering the kingdom of god the joy it gives you even though you feel like you may have had to give something up discovering the kingdom of god is a joyous event and then he ends with a parable that we would call the the net, parable of the net, or the parable of the fishing net. And what's interesting is the parable of the weeds and the parable of fishing net are like, they're just like each other, because they both talk about the coexistence of clean or dirty fish, the, the fish with scales versus the, the fish without scales, the catfish. And then the good the seed and the evil seed, and they are all together until God's going to sort them out at the end times. So. Those two go together as well. Um, So all of these, the the sower, the weeds, the mustard seed, the yeast, these are all things that are everyday items. They're everyday items to the people. So I want to give you an example of that. Because we're obviously not living in first century Israel, and we don't have collectively all of these things. This is the toughest part for us Westerners, is to decipher the parables, because we have to learn what the common items are. So I just want to show you how simple this can get. And yet, it's profound. So let's go back to our field. This field sits just to the northwest. I may have said northeast earlier. Just to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee. So if you're coming from Nazareth down to, say, Capernaum, you would drive past this field. And these are ancient fields. And you can tell that the the soil has a ton of rocks. I mean, they probably just gave up farming on it because it's just too rocky of soil. But each one of these belongs to a family or would belong to a family. They would farm mm, about an acre. So, for instance, this square right there might be one family's farm. That's your food for the year. And then the person next to it, they have their food. So if I, if I bring this a little bit closer, you can see these lines of stones, the rock walls. They divide the, the farms. There's two of them. Here's another one right there. They divide the farms. These are what the Bible calls ancient boundary markers or the ancient boundary stone. God says, don't move the ancient ancient boundary stones especially if it's a widow and an orphan because if you do I'm coming after you that's your land that God gave you don't give it away and if you sell it cuz you're in trouble they have to give it back to you after 7 years or by the 7th year so it's the boundary your neighbor can't steal it from you okay here's what you do every single year you need to go clear that field of stones So as you're getting the field ready, to prepare your field, you take the stones. What do you do with the stones that were in the middle of your field? Where do you put them? Put them right around the edges, and it builds up a nice little fence that makes good neighbors. So you clear the field of stones, and you put the rocks in a wall that makes a nice partition or a boundary line. Now if we could move close to that, what you would also see are thorns and thistles growing out of those rocks. But let me get, I'm going to show you a different photo. It's a different set of fields that this one is a little bit. Okay, so you can see different fields are divided. You have dividing lines. Some are uh, plowed, some are not. So it tells you different people owns them. And what I want you to notice is right along here is a whole bunch of thorns and thistles growing up. The thorns and thistles, in this case, because there's not a lot of rocks, create the boundary. Here's thorns and thistles, here's thorns and thistles, here's thorns and thistle, thistles. In Israel, if you have rocks with thistles growing out, keeps the, the sheep from going across the rock, because they'll get caught up in the thistle. So, what do you do to, every year to prepare your field? Well, you have to get rid of the thistle that's growing in your field. There's thorns and thistle everywhere in Israel. So it makes sense to them. When they read uh, Genesis 1, or I'm sorry, Genesis 3, and God curses the ground so that only thorns and thistles grow up, they're like, that's exactly right. We live in a world where we're surrounded by thorns and thistles. So that makes sense to them in Israel. So each year, besides clearing the stones, you burn your thistle. You have to burn the thistle out of your fields. There's a commandment in uh, Exodus. If you're burning your thistles... And the thistles go across to the next guy's land, who hasn't cleared his field yet, and starts his weed on fire. Here's how you pay him back. That's in Exodus 22. So the thistles, they they create the boundary lines. Okay, let me go one picture more to show you some more fields. So what you'll notice here is let's say you own one of those fields, but it's right in the middle, right? So let's say it's this one right here. I'll put the white line. So let's say that's your family's field right here. How do you get to your field? Well, you're going to have to cut through somebody else's field, right? And someone's going to have to cut through your field, right? So, every field not only has the boundary markers or the stones and the thistles, but it also has a path because people have to cut through your field. You have to cut through their field. So, right along here, the red line now, there's a path right next to either the rock wall or next to the thistle line. You'll have a path that people can get to and from their fields. This is everywhere, not only in Israel, but all over the Middle East. Okay. So, every field has rocks, thistles, path, and soil. Now listen to the rabbi. Teach. The rabbi is going to teach, right? And he says this, a sower went out to sow his field. Some seed fell on the path, some fell on the rocks, some fell among the thistle, or the thorns, and some fell on the good soil. Here you have a parable. Everybody knows the setting, because everybody's field has exactly those characteristics. Now, what comes out of that is there's something above it. There's The, the message is floating above it. Which type of soil are you? When the when God's words land on you, do they find a purchase in uh, good soil? But I just want to show you, that's the simplicity of a parable. It's genius. Because you just pull it right out of your life setting, and everybody knows it. Okay, we're not going to do the parable of the sower, but I just want to challenge you in our modern context, we tend to focus only on the word of God or the sower, the one doing the sowing. Jesus sowed to his disciples. Now we go out with the the gospel, the good news, and there's certain type of people. Well, that person must have, they didn't get it. So, you know, that must be the, the path or the, the rocks or whatever. And we kind of delineate those people out there, assuming we're the good soil because we understand the message. That's our Western way of looking at it. But again, Easterners or Eastern scholars say, well, it's probably not that. It's probably more about discipleship. What type of disciple are you? Because there are other stories that we have that talk about four different disciples and how the disciple learns. So if we look at it like this and say, instead of focusing on the sower, focus on the hearer. What you want to know is, what type of hearer am I? So the soil that the seed falls on is describing some type of disciple. Can you hear the word of God? Does it land and begin to grow fruit? That's part of what, what the parable is. Because when Jesus explains it, he says, it's like those who hear the, the word of the kingdom. Ah, it's the hearing that, get, that it's all about, right? And the metaphor is your heart. Is your heart like good soil? Does the word of God land on your heart and begin to produce fruit? And we all know, well, no, sometimes my heart gets hard, like the path, or it gets choked up by all the stuff in the world that I'm paying attention to. So the challenge is, what you want to do is think about these parables as, which one am I, or which one am I at certain times of, uh, I don't know, the day or the year or the month or whatever, So you could ask yourself, what type of soil or disciple are you? That's the challenging. Or you'd you'd say, what type of soil is your heart? That's what you want to know. And are you working on the soil of your heart? That's the metaphor. There's a scholar, her name is Amy Jill Levine. She is a New Testament scholar. She writes a lot about parables. She says, look, all of these parables are challenging to the core of all of us. And if we ever read the parable and walk away and say, oh, that was nice. She's like, you didn't read it correctly. They're not just nice stories. They should all We should read them all and say, whoa, I'm falling short of something. Because they're they all there to challenge us. So I would ask you, we don't have a lot of time to go over this parable, think about it as you, as what's your soil at different times of the world, right? If you've ever gone to a spiritual retreat or a marriage retreat, You feel like all you're doing is working on the soil of your heart. Everybody comes out of that gung-ho, I'm going to change my life, Jesus. I'm going to do this, this change here, that change there. The moment you get back home, the bills are sitting there on the kitchen table, the car breaks down, the, the kids need whatever, suddenly all the world starts to crowd back in and all those things that you were rejuvenated about fall by the wayside. So that could be something, a similar idea. Uh, for the sowers. Okay, we need to move on. What's the underlying text? What's the underlying text here? Because there's always an underlying text, and I'm going to read it because I'm watching the time. There's always an underlying text to what Jesus is talking about, and it's been proposed, Jeremiah four three. Now, you can go back and read. I would read verse 1 through 4. I'm just going to read these this shortened one tonight, but take some time and read this because it's this is what At least, rabbinic scholars say it's probably where Jesus is at. So, verse 3 says this, This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your unplowed ground, and do not sow among the thorns. Or some of your Bibles might say, Break up your fallow ground. Now, is he giving them gardening advice? No. What does the unplowed ground represent? Well, look at verse 4. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. So they recognize the metaphor is plow up your heart. You want to hear the Word of God? Start working on your heart. Prepare the ground. Get rid of all the rocks. Burn off the thistles. That's what uh, you're doing right now in that Holy Spirit study. You're getting your heart prepared to hear the Word of God, and at 4 a.m., He wakes you up and says, do you hear me? And that happens all the time to people. It's crazy, because that's when God loves to speak to you, when you're ready for it. So, okay, just a challenge. I just wanted to throw that out there. You can't walk... The parable of the sower would take us a couple weeks to go through, but I wanted to at least show you Darnell, because we got to learn about the weeds here to go a little bit deeper. So this is now... um, still in Matthew 13, it starts at verse 24. I'm going to talk Darnell first, before we get to the actual reading of it. So, Darnell, I mentioned this earlier, it's the toxic twin to wheat. Now, a twin, it looks just like wheat. It's a mimic. It actually mimics wheat. And so, it's a big problem we've essentially in the United States in the West, Europe and the United States, we've gotten rid of Darnell in our wheat, but it's still a problem in the East. So it's a toxic twin, and I think that twin might lead something to the underlying text of what we're talking about. Let me show you at least a picture. I'll put a picture up here uh, on the left side there is Darnell. Now I know I tried to get a picture of Darnell and wheat at the same stage, so they would look more similar, but the only wheat I could find was wheat that was towards the end of this, the stage here. So Darnell on one side, wheat on the other. Darnell grows right along with wheat. The seeds will come off and go right, or I'm sorry, with the grain, as you're going to grind the grain, the Darnell will go right along with it. The problem is, it's toxic. So... Uh One of the things about um Darnell is it's got um a hallucinogenic properties to it, and they talk about it makes your eyes funny and it makes you dizzy and eventually, people in England would actually grow it for that purpose. It's almost like someone who would want to grow like a marijuana plant or something. but throughout the history of Darnell, you don't want it showing up in your bread because you're suddenly eating your bread. And getting dizzy or having hallucinations or something like that. Okay, so there's a dizziness and possible hallucination. The name for Darnell, uh, the the Latin name, is *lolium tamulentum*, and the word *tamulentus* means drunk in Latin. So even the name, even the Latin name, has something to do with intoxication. I found this article, it's called Atlas Obscura, if you ever love to read weird things about the world. This is called, Wheat's evil twin has been intoxicating humans for centuries. That's Darnell. So you don't want it in your wheat, because the next thing you know, you're eating bread, and you'll feel, you know, intoxicated. So it's the t- toxic twin. It looks just like wheat. You can't tell until the very end that it's different. It also became a symbol of subversion, subversion within society. So that's why it's important. The enemy just didn't plant a weed. He's subverting the kingdom by planting Darnell, which causes all kinds of problems. So it's a symbol of subversion, subversion, excuse me. And uh, finally, there was a Roman, even a Roman law passed that said you're not allowed to sabotage somebody's field by planting Darnell. And then I've also heard that the Roman soldiers would try to sneak in to where their enemy was and sow Darnell into their plants. And you can imagine, because if the Darnell gets them intoxicated, well, then they're easier to fight when they're intoxicated. So if you think about this, when we read the parable and Jesus says, an enemy planted Darnell in my field, who do you suppose they thought of? But Rome. So they probably, it, at least Rome would come to mind. Now, Jesus explains it and says, that's the devil. I get that part. But we have to recognize in the context of the first century, Darnell is a big deal. It's everywhere. And so, again, just like their fields, they get it. They understand what Jesus is saying. All right, so let's go and read this now. And now think about our Darnell. Oh, by the way. I had to choose a version, I chose the W-E-B, World English Bible I think, W-E-B, because W-E-B uses the word darnel. Most of the Bibles use wheat or tares. So if we start at verse 24, verse 24, he set before them another parable, or he set a parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, so that's how the parable begins, right? kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. While the people slept, his enemy came and, sl- and sowed Darnell. So, the enemy, again, what would you think besides spiritual enemy? And he sowed Darnell. So now they all know exactly what's going on in the wheat field among the wheat, and then he went away. Verse 26. But when the blades sprang up and produce grain, then the Darnell weeds appeared too. And you can see in this version of the Bible, they put a footnote down here. Darnell is a weed grass, probably bearded Darnell, or lolium temelitum. Sorry, my Latin is wanting. And it looks very much like wheat until it's mature. That's the whole point of using the word Darnell. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 27. Then, because here comes the twist. Then the servants of the household came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these darnel weeds come from? And he says to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants asked, Do you want us to go gather them up? Now, what are they all expecting Jesus to say or the guy to say in the parable? Yes, go get rid of the evil weed, right? Get rid of it. This is what so many people in Jesus' day, when they, they thought when the Messiah shows up, all evil will be vanquished, there's going to be a big war, everybody gets thrown out, the righteous will be glorified, that's the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's John the Baptist last week when we talked about his doubting, that's the zealots, they want to start a war. So, so many people want him to say, yes, go get, pull those weeds. And what's his answer? No. But he said no. Lest perhaps when you gather up the darnel, you root up the wheat with them. That's the issue. When God's judgment comes, when it finally shows up, who else gets caught up in it? The righteous. And so God, through his forbearance, doesn't punish people immediately. It will come. That's measure for measure. We'll get there eventually. God will judge and he'll separate the darnel from the wheat. But don't go trying to figure it out yourself. Okay, verse 30, we'll finish with this. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the harvest time I will tell the reapers, first gather up the darnel weeds, bind them into bundles, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now obviously, there's a lot going on there, but one of the main ideas of this parable is that good and evil are going to coexist for for a period of time they're going to be operating together in the same field just like the the net that's let down into the fish there's clean fish and unclean fish but they operate together for a time god'll divide them up later so one of the main points of this parable is it's it's expressing divine forbearance god is He's going to bring judgment, but he's not going to bring it right now. That's what they want. They want Jesus to lead them in a, in a war of judgment. He says, I'm not going to do that. I want you to be righteous and not worry about what's happening to, these, to the evil. Last week, when we talked again, again, talked about John the Baptist, he's doubting Jesus because what does he want? <laughs> He says in Matthew 3, the axe is is already at the root of the tree. Hey, let's cut this tree down, Jesus. Come on, Messiah, bring about that judgment that we're all waiting for. Kick the Romans out, you know. The righteous will be glorified. Jesus says, no, that's not what's going to happen. So, one of the things that has been always used, this parable has been used for, is to recognize humanity's poor judgment. We have a really hard time judging evil and getting it correct without causing a lot of collateral damage. And so what God is, wants to say is, I'll take care of it, right? My, my justice is perfect. I will take care of the judgment. What I need you to do is just be righteous. And then I'll deal with the judgment later. Because when you try to figure it out on your own, like the zealots, you're going to mess it up and it's going to create problems. A lot of the parable is that divi- divine forbearance. don't pull up the weeds yet, and of course we see the same thing with the the net. okay, so why do we have to know darnell? Well, because it really lends to the punch of the whole parable. It's not just a weed that's sucking up water or taking up space, but it's going to create lots of problems if those seeds get on get in our wheat seeds not only for our intoxication but it perpetuates the darnell. okay now. This isn't on your handout. I I questioned myself whether I should even bring this up. But what the heck, right? What's the underlying text here? And my answer is, I don't know. But I think there's some clues. There's a rabbinic parable that sounds very similar to this one. And it's talking about two people that are growing together, and now you have to figure out which one is good or which one is evil, and it's Isaac and Ishmael. So you notice the, st- the, the Bible has all kinds of stories, even with twins, right? Jacob and Esau. And you have all kinds of stories of, of things growing at the same time and what the blessing is going to be. So there's one rabbinic text that go- points to uh, Isaac and Ishmael, I think what kept coming to mind for me is Cain and Abel. In John 8, Jesus says that Cain is the son of the devil, the first murderer. When Cain kills Abel, God won't let anybody take vengeance. He says, no, I'm going to handle that one. I'm going to mark you so no one, will, no one will have vengeance on Cain. So if I had to choose, I don't know, I just want you to think about it possibly Cain and Abel, or at least it's talking about the world that we exist in when you have both good and evil side by side. I don't know, but I just thought, well, why not throw it out there and we'll, you can then ponder. But he's probably somewhere back in the Torah with an underlying text that they would hear something going on. So just a thought, because you can't always figure out what these underlying texts are that Jesus is playing with. Okay, quick review parable, very important, story or a word picture that helps us take the idea and the teaching with us. It's fiction. So you read it, looking for the details, because you know Jesus is putting the detail in there for a reason, to carry the story along, to help you find out in the text something uh, that's going on. It carries truth, just like a fable does, and it allows you then to process of self-discovery to take that truth with you. And then, of course, a shock and a twist that Jesus likes to say, nope, 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 not what you were thinking. It's going to be this other way, and you put that into the story. So, okay, Uh, that's week six. I forgot to change my last slide. Um, Okay, that is Matthew study, week six, parables. And I know we didn't get to go totally into the sower, but I at least hope that I could open up a little bit of a window about parables and to say, ch- I challenge you to read it different and go back and read, um, also the, the, the one at the weeds, the Darnell, just think about that in light of now what you may not have known about Darnell, what you know about Darnell. Now, if, uh, trying to find a text that underlies that parable was dangerous. Next week is going to be really dangerous because we're going to talk about the transfiguration. And I just want you to know, it's a mystical idea, and when you enter the mystical, you have your hands wide open, and you just let it exist and see what God does with the information. So I'm just going to offer some thoughts about the transfiguration. Nothing that says this is dogma about what we think it is, but just paint a picture of what we think is going on. Okay. Let me end the slideshow here.